you can unlock more cash than you realize from your home's equity with a cash out refinance today. In the last year, average home values have gone up nearly 20%. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can unlock thousands in less than three weeks. But you've got to act right now before rates go up. So when you're looking to unlock the cash in your home, Rocket can. Call 8338-ROCKET today or go to rocketmortgage.com to get started. Rocket. Rates current as a 12-12-21. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. Anomalous consumer access. Not over 3030. Call 800-490-1233 for disclosures and cost information. With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5-0. Mojo 5-0. We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm your host, Sam Sorbo, here on Mojo50.com. Uh, we saw you at the New Balance store. Why are you out here? Uh, man, period, point blank. Just like all my real ones trying to do, trying to get some money. Explanation, that's it. I'm trying to get some dough, that's it. Just out here for the money? Yeah, pretty much. Anything to do with the protests, what happened in Minnesota? I mean, a little bit to do with that, too. You feel me? But not really. I'm out here for the dough. Was it worth it? Obviously not. I'm right here hemmed up. Yeah, y'all see it. Man, if y'all gonna get some money, do it right. Don't do it the dumb way. Do it the smart way. Thanks for your time, man. No telling what the smart way is. That's one of the looters that was caught by LAPD uh, last night and uh, or yesterday, I should say, during the day. Uh, A gang of criminals uh, tried to break into a store and... um, the police chased them off, and this guy, this poor sap, didn't uh, didn't make it into the the truck to make his getaway, and the police chased him down on foot. So, welcome to the program today. I've got a live one for you today. We're gonna have yeah, we're gonna have a little bit of fun. I've got some uplifting news. Um, I, I got some great comments on the show yesterday, and uh, while it's easy to be pessimistic, there's also reason to be optimistic. So, we'll get into that. We're gonna talk about. Uh, the protests and the riots that are happening now all over the world give uh, give a little bit of perspective and history on that. Um, and also the latest news about covid. I don't know if this is worse for the news and for the media, worse news for the media and for the Democrats. I'll let you be the judge. And also income inequality. Is that at the heart of the riots? And so in order to sort of have that discussion, I'm going to go to my guest, Michael J. Petrelli, who is um is an award-winning writer, and he's also the president of the Thomas B. Uh, that's interesting. Thomas B. Fordham, there it is, Institute, which recently released a new report authored by economist John Winters and focused on how college-earning premiums vary across states and metropolitan areas. Now, this might seem like a dry issue, but I assure you it's not. And so welcome to the program, Mike Petrelli. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be back with you, Sam. So let's talk about this because we just heard the looter and he I think we could we can sort of extrapolate and say that he represents a fair percentage of looters. They're in it for the money. The question is, and in fact, I saw a report that uh, looters took off with two point four million dollars from a Rolex store in downtown New York. Uh, so a lot of them are just in it. Hey, this is basically free pickings. Um, if, if there are too many people, they overwhelm the police and, uh, here's uh, income redistribution right here, but you come at, you come at it from a different point of view. Um, and, and that's the education systems point of view. So talk to me about that. Yeah, that, that's right, Sam. So, you know, the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, which I lead, we are an education reform organization 
And we've been working for 20 years to try to fix this education system so that young people like, like the man that was just interviewed have better opportunities uh, and don't feel like they, they need to try to make a quick buck. They can make, uh, make a living the, the right way, uh, which is to get an education and to go and get a good paying job and put food on the table for your family. Uh, what this report looks at is whether it makes sense uh, to be pushing everybody into college, which has been something that a, a lot of people in education have been so focused on now for many years. And one of the big reasons is because we've known for a long time that there is this thing called a college earning premium. Uh, on average, you do get paid more, in many cases a lot more, uh, if you've got that four-year college degree than if you don't. Uh, but what we were curious about is whether this varied by geography. In other words, I, I live uh, in the D.C. metro area. You know, I'm in the bubble. And when you live in, in a place like D.C. or New York or the Bay Area or some of these other big metro areas, uh, you are used to this sense that, look, everybody who is making a good living, it seems like, does have that college degree or more, working uh, the white-collar jobs that do pull in a lot, of, a lot of money. And almost everybody else seems to be really struggling or working the service jobs. Uh, often, uh, those are people that, w that uh, you know, graduated from high school or, or maybe tried college, dropped out, didn't get that degree. And so that's the way we look at the world. But we were curious if, if maybe this, this bubble is just that. Maybe things work differently in the rest of America. And it turns out the answer is that it does work differently in the rest of America, that in most places, in smaller metro areas, and certainly in rural America, you still get a pay bump for having that college degree but it is not nearly as large as it is in the big metro areas. And so, so this is, so, so I'm just going to break in just to, just to clarify. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know that this really needs clarification, but I see a great parallel here. So the way that New York city dealt with the COVID lockdown mm -hmm. was perhaps not applicable to really much of the rest of the country. In other words, yeah. you know, it was, it, you know, there was, there was such a stress on the system in New York. There were hospitals, um, uh, I believe there were hospitals that were overwhelmed. There were several that weren't, mm -hmm. but there were some who that were, you know, somewhat overwhelmed with COVID. And yet in the rest of the country, we failed to see that. And, mm -hmm. and, and yet in the rest of the country, we applied the same metric of, hey, we got to lock everybody down, which was probably yeah. ill-advised. I, I would say, in my opinion, was completely ill-advised, was not advised at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so what you're saying is, hey, if you want to live in D.C., uh, in, in the metropolitan D.C. area, maybe college is, is the right course because for sure the outcome for college earn, for college graduates is better in the D.C. metropolitan area than for non-college earners. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. That's right. And it's a huge difference. You know, in a place like D.C., you're talking about getting paid about twice as much if you've got a college degree versus if you don't. Uh, but it's much smaller in other areas. So, for example, you go out uh, out west in some of the uh, states like Idaho and Montana, Wyoming, that have a big mining presence, uh, that have natural resource extraction. Uh, and the college wage premium is much smaller. It's more like 25%. Now, again, uh, there's still a benefit when it comes to making money. You're, you're going to make more money if you got the college degree. Or if you don't get the four-year degree, if you have a two-year degree or a valued uh, industry credential, all of those are going to help you make more money on average than having just a high school diploma. But the key point that the report is making is it looks different in different parts of America. Like you say, Sam, just like the pandemic 
uh, is playing out very differently in different parts of the country. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying one size doesn't fit all? Hold on. Shocking. I thought, I thought that that's – and it's <laughs> funny because, honestly, Mike, that's what our, our, our entire education system is based on, one size fits all. Everybody should perform X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, look, and, and look, I will say, as, as, an, as a card-carrying education reformer, I have bought into this idea in, in, to a large degree. And, you know, it's because when you look at the data, and especially in these big cities, you do think, wow, these kids who are growing up poor, especially kids of color, if they don't get that college degree, uh, they really do not have great options ahead of them. Uh, you know, they're going to be working those service sector jobs, and they're never going to make uh, a good living. Uh, and then their kids are going to be poor as well. So when that's your mindset, it makes sense. But hey, guess what? Uh, it, the, the economy does play out differently in other parts of the country. Uh, and and uh, thankfully, where other parts of the country where the cost of living is a lot better and where, you know, higher education at a more technical sort uh, goes further because there are those manufacturing jobs, because there are those resource extraction jobs, uh, because so you, know, me- you can make a good living as a tradesman. And on and on. Right. So, so do you differentiate between a, a four-year college degree and a two-year technical school? And mm-hmm. do, do you do that breakdown also? Do we do we get to know sort of what those results we, might be? We do. We do. And now, what's interesting is I, I was surprised, Sam. I, I thought that those two-year technical degrees were going to really go far in most of the country. Well, it turns out it actually. Uh, there's still a big gap in, in many places between the two-year and the four-year. Uh, but it, it is clear that in some places, and again, mostly rural areas, smaller metro areas, yes, those two-year degrees go further. And everything goes further because the cost of living is so much lower. So it's also to say that, look, if, if your goal is to be able to uh, get a middle-income uh, pay and to be able to have a good lifestyle for your family, that's much uh, more doable outside these, these big, expensive metro areas. Hmm. And then then the question is, when you're 18, and by the way, you're not factoring in debt, are you? You're only, uh, right. I you're mean, only we, factoring we that in a little bit, but that's, results. That's right. And not just debt. I mean, keep in mind, if, if you're going to college, you're also generally not working full time, you know, at least if you're 20 years old, right? So you're also giving up pay, right? So no, I mean, that that's another important issue for sure. Right. Well, I'm ta- well, but but we're focused on um, outcome. So you know, if you just so we're we're leapfrogging. And in fact, yeah. it's funny because um, I have a, a friend who's very involved in this um, discussion, so to speak. And he forgave he forwent college uh, and went into business. And um, and his whole thing is if you if you just get a job and can sock away. I can't remember how much it is, but it's not a lot, $5 a month or something like that. Instead of spending money on college, but you get a job and you can put away whatever it is, $5 or $15 a month, at the end of, I, and, and this is terrible, I shouldn't be even be talking about this, but it, but because mm-hmm. I don't have the specifics, but at the end of, a, at, at the end of 30 years, you've got a million dollars in the bank. Whereas if you don't do that, if you go on sort of the prescribed path of go to college, end up with $200,000 in debt, don't work those, those specific four years and then try to pay off the loan over the next 30 years, mm-hmm. the student debt, then you end up basically in the same place, but a million dollars less. Or You know what I mean? It's like yeah. crazy, yeah. the difference. Yeah. So how do we, because we've infantilized our children to the point, we've infantilized our entire population to the point where we have infants 
claiming to be adults and yet asking the government to take care of them, basically cradle to grave, um, as as adults, right? As as uh, as Democrat voters, if you will. Uh, and so, how do we how do we walk this back? And how do we dare I say educate people um, yeah. to to be more savvy? Uh, because now with, uh, and can we tie this into the unrest that we're seeing, the riots that we're seeing in the streets? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, look, you know, you talk about the, the riots and the unrest, you know, there, there's a great piece out by Ross Gossett today, uh, conservative in the New York Times, talking about how this really is a metro area problem. Here we are again, one size doesn't fit all. This is a, something happening in those bubbles. And what's interesting about those bubbles is that is where the inequality is the greatest. You've got those super high earners on the one hand, most of them white or Asian Americans, and you've got service sector people on the other hand, most of them uh, people of color, and very little middle class in between. You know, and that that is part of what's causing these these spasms, these big challenges in our metro areas. You go outside those metro areas, uh, and and there's more of a spectrum. You know, and you've got, as you say, some people who are making good money who maybe didn't go to college. You've got people. Uh, you know, it, it's more of a mix, and the inequality is not as great out there in, in red America, which is very interesting. Now, look, for young people, mm. I think we need to sit down and level with them and say, you know, as you think about what you want to do when you grow up, as always, you think about what do you want to do? You, some people don't want to work in an office all day. You know, what do you love doing? How do you want to spend your time? Uh, for sure, higher education is still a good investment for most people, but be smart about what kind and take where you want to live into account. If you're growing up in a small town or in a small metro area and you love it and you want to stay there, uh, you may make different decisions than if you want to go off to the big city. And that's got to be a part of, of uh, young people's calculations. Yeah, and, and I'll just add, because I can't help myself, as a home education advocate, uh, you, can, you can study a lot of college online now. You don't have to, you don't yeah. have to go to a four-year school. You don't even have to necessarily enroll. You, um, look, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing that we have so much available online in terms mm-hmm. of uh, instruction that you can teach yourself virtually anything. And, and so people sort of, you know, they, they nod their head when I say that. They, but if you want to go, if you want to be a doctor, you have to go to college. I'm like, no, you don't. You just have to pass the MCATs and get yourself admitted into uh, medical school. You don't have to go to college. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you yeah. know, well, if you want to go to college, you have to graduate high school. Actually, no. You just have to, mm-hmm. you know, show some good test scores and find a college that will accept you. And, boy, they'll take mm-hmm. your money. They, they, mm-hmm. Let's face it. They're whores now. They they don't care. Look at look at yeah. the scandals that we've recently seen of parents just buying their kids way into college. If you have enough money, mm-hmm. you can get into college. So so my point is that the that the entire system, the way that um, let's let's call them the elites, the way that the, the elites designed it, if you will, has now broken down or the way that the, yeah. the elites have corrupted it, because I use elites as a pejorative, the way that the elites have corrupted the system, it's broken down. It used to be that the system was intended to educate priests. <laughs> Let's face it. It was all religious in the, in the, mm-hmm. in its origins. Right. And, and so now, now it's been sort of, uh, and in fact, a high school education was enough. Right. And now now we've had such erosion in our education systems that a high school education is considered not enough 
and now you need the college. I mean, it's silly. But I love the fact that you guys did this um, this research and can now show that it's not one size fits all and that there are, there are different ways of um, of attacking this puzzle, if you will, for, for young people and that they really ought to be taking into account. What are their goals? Because our education system has made college the goal. Mm-hmm. College prep and career readiness. And in fact, your goal should be life. What do you want out of life? What do you want to give? Right? What do you have to offer? That's and, right. And um, so I'm, ex- I'm excited by that. Where can people find this? They can go to our website, FordhamInstitute.org. And again, it's uh, looking at uh, what you make depends on where you live. Fantastic. Hey, thanks so much, Mike, for coming on. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate All right. it. Bye bye. So, moving on, uh, I have so much to get through. Um, you know, it's funny because he's still uh, he's still an education guy, right? He's still and he still is touting uh, college, and it's true. Um, college can get you places. It can, but it's a risk, which is. Um, which is my new sort of mantra. In fact, I wrote it down from the show yesterday and I still have this note in front of me. There is no risk-free option. There is no risk-free option. So um, college, no college, life, life or, or not, like there's no risk-free option and we're, none of us are getting out of this thing alive, right? <laughs> As we say. All right, so... Um, I wanted to get into that conversation with him, the income inequality being at the heart of the riots. And and he touched on it uh, very nicely, actually, this idea that these riots are happening in large metropolitan areas. Um, And and probably also because it's a BLM thing. It's a Black Lives Matter thing. In fact, I have some um, audio to play for you. Uh, at the London protests. So the protests are happening in London. They're they're now all over the United States and in uh, foreign countries. These are the protesters in London. I'm just going to play you a little bit. Um, it's very hard to hear many of them, but I found some of it that, that was clear enough to play. And um, this is uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter activists taking to the streets, calling for people to stand up to racism. I want you to... Uh, I don't... I don't know. I, I kind of listened to this myself with uh, my jaw on the floor. L- listen. Go on ask questions. Don't just stand there and speak. Don't just speak. You have to act. I am here because I stand in the face of racism every single day, like we all do. We are all here because we are all experiencing secondary trauma from the brutalization that we experience based on the fact that racism is embedded in the very structure of this society. So with that point of view, and by the way, does she not sound erudite? Educated? Well-spoken? I mean, think about what she just said. We are all suffering in... Hold on. I have it here somewhere. Ah, All right. I was going to read it to you, um, but I can play it again because 
all do. We are all here because we are all experiencing secondary trauma from the brutalization that we experience based on the fact that racism is embedded in okay. the very structure of this. We're experiencing secondary trauma based on the fact that racism is embedded in the very society. We are experiencing secondary trauma. What is that? That's that's university speak. You got to go to school to learn that kind of stuff. And and what is the trauma that she's talking about? Is it that the news media amplify and glorify a story? And and by the way, like I'm on I'm I'm on her side on this. Not entirely, because I think she's extrapolating out an entire narrative. But um, the video of George Floyd is, it's its own 9-11, if you will. It is a terrible, terrible thing that happened that one individual did to another individual. And I don't think that we've gotten to the bottom of it. I don't know that it was a racist act. I think we can, we can certainly apply a racist veneer to it, but uh, the reports that I've seen is that the two, general, the, the two individuals knew each other and had a prior history. And I don't know that that history was informed by any manner of racism. I don't know. Um, and perhaps it was. I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm just saying that uh, we don't know all the particulars. But it doesn't matter to these people because they will apply the veneer of racism. And so any wrongdoing, and here's the thing, let's then take a look at the uh, activists who shot police in the back of the head in, in um, I think it was in uh, Vegas. Yeah, there it is. Rioter shoots police officer in the head from behind. The Las Vegas Sheriff Joseph Lombardo told a press briefing that an officer was shot around 11 p.m. last night. He's in critical condition and on life support. He was shot in the back of the head. Holy smokes. It was downtown near the Circus Circus Casino. They were throwing rocks and debris at the officers. By the way, have you seen... Somebody sent me a video out on Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles, and it's it's vacant. Here's the thing. We've cleared the streets because of COVID. Everybody stay home except the rioters. You guys are free to go. You guys can go out. Um, the streets are clear. There are cars going on the streets. Nobody is walking on the streets in this video, at least. Broad daylight. And he's walking down the street and you see store after store, glass fronts, obviously, because stores like to exhibit their, um, their wares. And then he gets to the bus stop and there are at least five crates. And by crates, I mean, um, so, th- so they are rocks that are held inside a metal crating. And they're standing up on end. So they look like a little a little block of wall, but they're like three feet by three feet full of rocks. And you can see the rocks inside. And there are like five of them at the bus stop. And the guy's going, 
Why do you think I, I was playing it for you? But there's a lot of nasty language in it. Why do you think these guy they, this is dropped off at the bus stop? And the the boulevard is lined with glass. Who's dropping off? And I've seen other, I'm sure you've seen, there, there are other photos out there. Twitter has them, like, of, of, of uh, pallets of brick, pallets of concrete blocks. Pallets. Well, the rocks are easier to sort of pick up and manage. They're more manageable. They're easier to grasp and stuff. Who's dropping that stuff off? There are people who are eagerly fomenting this nastiness. That has to stop. So I'm going to play you a little bit more from the London protests. This society, use your white privilege and help our brothers and sisters. Use your white privilege because we are the only people because we created a system. Okay. Use your white privilege. Help our brothers and sisters. Use your white privilege because we created the system. So here's the thing. They they look at the system as inherently evil, as simply inherently evil. Mind you, the system that she's talking about was created in a, in, in a sense without any slavery. Well, they, they had white slaves, okay? That was under the feudal system. But the system itself was created without black slaves, certainly. So what is it that they're railing against? And, and, and we have come so far. Is it all bad? Must we throw out the baby with the bathwater? But that doesn't concern them because they're, they're just angry and they just want to lash out and they want to tear down the system. Never mind, it is the system that has produced the greatest leap in prosperity for everyone, including the blacks in the inner city. Because minorities living in the inner cities, everyone who lives in the inner cities, lives better than the most impoverished in India and Africa. So we have the comparison. But logic, logic defies, they, they defy logic. Okay, let's just listen to the rest of this. Quick, raise the system! The police cover up all these deaths! Black lives fucking matter! Uh, okay, that sort of sums it up. Uh, and I'm sorry for that nasty language, that uh, oopsie, my bad. Didn't mean to... Anyway, um, oh my goodness. So, so they are sort of hell-bent on pulling down the system, I guess, and, 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 and replace it with what exactly? What's the point? I mean, can we be a little bit circumspect about this and give this some thought? Part of the problem, part of the challenge, I should say, is that because of social media, because of our cell phones being cameras, there is a, a, a greater acknowledgement of disparity without 
it seems, the accompanying greater acknowledgement of progress or something. And that I, I actually lay at the feet of the education system because it seems at this point that they're teaching nothing but the negatives. I mean, it really seems that way to me. And I lay it at the feet a little bit at the feet of the church for not being more stalwart, for not being more involved, um, for, for maintaining a distance, for, for seeming disinterested. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Trump has now vowed to end the protests. Um, they fired tear gas on protesters near the White House yesterday. He, uh, he's calling uh, for, the, uh, for the military. He said he's going to deploy the military if mayors and state governors refuse to call out the National Guard. So apparently it's the mayors and the state governors who need to call on the National Guard. Trump spoke in the Rose Garden of the White House. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled, he said. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. Um, I appreciate his reluctance to act. I have to say, I, 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 I'm sad about the destruction that is happening but I do appreciate that um, that he has to be reticent in his actions lest, lest he prove their point or something, if that makes sense. Um, but there are peaceful demonstrations. There have been peaceful ones, but there have also been very violent ones. Now there's a second autopsy that was ordered by Floyd's family. It was released yesterday, and it found that his death was a homicide by mechanical asphyxiation, meaning some physical force interfered with his oxygen supply. I saw, a, I saw an autopsy re- revealed that um, he passed away from a lack of oxygen. Um, the report says that three officers contributed to his death. I think I think they're all going down. I mean, honestly, I don't know how they can squirm their way out of this. And, and the the video is so damning. I I just don't know. Although I've been told now that um, that there is a there is a maneuver that's taught to police officers that is similar to what was applied, but I don't. Here, let's be frank, and PA just tweeted me, the maneuver used by the officer is taught to Minneapolis PD. It's been documented and used 44 times since 2015. The officer is going to be cleared because in the end he was following procedure and protected under the umbrella of authority. Um, If that happens, um, I, I don't, here's the problem. Then it shouldn't be a maneuver because it just, it's not camera ready. (laughs) <laughs> Speaking as somebody who works on the camera, you got to know, and now they're all body cammed. So, so this would then uh, indicate that there needs to be a review of all of the procedures and practices to make sure that they're camera ready. 
Hennepin County Medical Examiner released details yesterday of its autopsy findings that also said Floyd's death was a homicide caused by asphyxiation. The county report added Floyd suffered cardiopulmonary arrest. Well, that's that's just a heart attack while being restrained by police that he had arteriosclerotic and hypertensive heart disease, fentanyl intoxication and recent meth use. So interestingly, if they can tie it to drug usage, uh, yes, they might be able to get off, I suppose. Wow. Will that play, though? I think that's the problem that we deal with. And part of it, and again, uh, I hate this refrain. I'm sorry, guys. I hate this refrain, but it is. It goes back to education. Are any of these people sophisticated? And I don't mean to belittle them. That's not my point. My point is, are they sophisticated? Are they educated enough to consider mm, how do I put it? The the different values, the different uh, not values, um, variables, right? The the different variables at play. Now, here's the thing. Okay, did the officers know that he was high? Probably. I mean, it seems like they're treating him as if he's really not um, in in control of of himself, I suppose. De Blasio said in a statement, we can't let violence undermine the message of this moment. What is the message of the moment, sir? Cuomo blamed people who are looking to distract and discredit the protest, said they couldn't be allowed to undermine public safety. Trump said the federal government was going to clamp down very strong on the violence. National Guard troops were deployed near the White House on the evening of June 1st last night. And so with that, I think we'll go a little bit into history. Um, There have been a number of police shot, by the way. I didn't add it up. Diana Jones, 40 years old, she's the mother of four children. She said, this is therapeutic. My heart was real heavy this morning, so I came down extra early. And when I got here, the heaviness was lifted. This right here lets me know that things are going to be okay. When uh, dozens of people paid their their respects to Floyd outside Cup Foods, which was the scene of his death. The visitors left flowers and signs honoring Floyd. A little, a little girl wrote, I'll fight with you in aqua blue chalk on the road. Terrence Floyd, the victim's brother, told the gathering he wanted people to get educated, vote, and not destroy their own communities. Let's do this another way. Well, that's the message that needs to get out. But when you have some, somebody, somebody is ordering for bricks to be delivered, Well, then what? So somebody sent me this Wikipedia article. I typically don't quote Wikipedia. It's not really a, quote, reliable source, end quote. However, for general knowledge, I think it's okay. So I'm going to read this this piece to you, May May, May 68. It's about the 1968-69 civil unrest in France. Beginning in May of 1968, a period of civil unrest occurred throughout France, lasting some seven weeks. It was punctuated by demonstrations and general strikes. 
and the occupation of universities and factories. Remember Occupy Wall Street? Occupy. We're going to sit here and defecate everywhere and do nothing. And we're being, we're, we're voicing our loud protests about stuff. Remember that? Okay. At the height of the events, which have since become known as May 68, the economy of France came to a halt. The protests reached such a point that political leaders feared civil war or even revolution. The national government briefly ceased to function. Oh, joy of joys. (laughs) After President Charles de Gaulle secretly fled France to Germany at one point. The president of France actually fled. And it was Charles de Gaulle. It was de Gaulle who fled. (laughs) Typical Frenchman. No offense to any French people who are listening. I love France. (laughs) Do you guys know? Do you Okay, hold on. French World War II rifles for sale. Never used, dropped once. (laughs) Sorry, I had to do that. Why do French tanks have three reverse gears and one forward gear? Well, the three reverse gears is to retreat faster. The one forward gear is if the attack comes from the rear. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, I'm just... I'm just having fun. All right. The protest reached such a point that political leaders feared civil war or revolution. The national government briefly ceased to function after President General Charles de Gaulle secretly fled France. Secretly. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody I'm fleeing. To Germany. Went to Germany of all places. Like, why didn't he go to Italy or uh, maybe not Italy? Spain? I don't know. To an island. Go to vacation. Go to Bristol. I don't know. The protests spurred movements worldwide with songs, imaginative graffiti, posters, and slogans. The unrest began with a series of student occupation protests against capitalism, consumerism, American imperialism, and traditional institutions. Like today. Like they, they're protesting capitalism, consumerism on their smartphones, on their apps. Heavy police repression of the protesters led France's trade union confederations to call for sympathy strikes, which spread far more quickly than expected, to involve 11 million workers, more than 22% of the total population of France at the time. More than 22% of the total population. A fifth of France went on strike. The movement was characterized by spontaneous and decentralized wildcat disposition. This created a contrast and at times even conflict internally amongst the trade unions and the parties of the left. It was the largest general strike ever attempted in France and the first nationwide wildcat general strike. The first one of its kind. So the French were first at something aside from uh, Champagne, which is remarkably good. I have to hand it to the French for, for Champagne. Okay, the student occupations and general strikes initiated across France were met with forceful confrontation by university administrators and police. They used force. The de Gaulle administration's attempts to quell those strikes by police action only inflamed the situation further, leading to street battles with the police in the Latin Quarter in Paris. But listen, by late May, 
the flow of events changed. The Grinnell Accords, concluded on 27 May, between the government, the trade unions, and employers, won significant wage gains for workers. A counter-demonstration organized by the Gaullist Party on 29 May in central Paris gave de Gaulle the confidence to dissolve the National Assembly and call for parliamentary elections for the 23rd of June, 1968. And then there's this. Violence evaporated almost as quickly as it arose. Because anger is... anger, Violent anger is hard to sustain. It's exhausting. Anger itself is exhausting, but it's, but it's easy to sort of keep the embers. It's sad because it doesn't, it doesn't serve you to keep anger embers. If you can't beat the system, join it, right? It doesn't serve you. You'll just be, you're making yourself unhappy. But violence is hard to sustain, And so the violence evaporated almost as quickly as it arose. Workers went back to their jobs, and when the elections were held in June, the Gaullists emerged stronger than ever. Are you hearing me? The events of May 1968 continue to influence French society. The period is considered a cultural, social, and moral turning point in the history of the country. Alan Geismar one of the leaders of the time, later stated that the movement had succeeded, quote, as a social revolution, not as a political one. So I don't know, you know, a a friend of mine sent this to me and I'm reading it and I'm going, you know, actually, that makes me feel better. Like I have a, I have more of a, um, an optimistic viewpoint at this point. And so with that, oh, I wanted to tell you this story. Rioters tried to force their way into a bakery. But the family members who own and run Corbo's Bakery in Cleveland, downtown Cleveland, they weren't about to let the rioters have free reign upon the business they worked hard to build over the years. So when the rioters uh, rioters, uh, tried forcing their way into the bakery, and what were they going to (laughs) steal? I'm going to get me some cookies. Uh, The owner, Joe Carbo, and his two sons armed themselves with what? Hugs and kisses? Nope. Nope. Sorry, you gun haters out there. They armed themselves with guns. They met the rioters at the door, said in effect, okay, you give it your best shot, and then we will. By and large, the protesters kept a move on after seeing the firepower they were up against. This is off the blaze, by the way. Livestream video of the incident caught one of the bakery's windows being broken, and that apparently was the extent of the rioters' courageous stand. The co-owner, Selena Corbo, told um, the TV station she supports the protesters' cause. She supports their cause, but not the violence or the destruction of property. So her family had no choice. They had to protect what was theirs. Why do you suppose they think that they have the authority... To protect what was theirs. Shall I tell you? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because what's yours is yours. Personal ownership is part of the deal. 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness is personal property. They came at us with bats and threw rocks at our windows. They threw like red bull cans at our heads and rocks and stones. And then I was like, all right. This is Selena speaking. One man who disagreed with the Corbos family approach said they cared more about their business than people. Uh, wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, that gets me angry. (laughs) Uh, People are so adamant about protecting their businesses more than they are about protecting lives. Um, That's not true. Well, there is this point that if you're going to if you're going to brandish a gun, you need to be prepared to use it. But that doesn't mean you need to take somebody's life. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. I shouldn't have said that. I had a friend who I figured for a prepper. And when I asked her if she was a prepper, um, you know, she had stored, you know, months of food and stuff. She said, no. And I said, why? She said, well, you know, I've lived my life. My kids are up and grown and I will not defend it with a gun. So if I have it, people would just come and get it. And that's okay. So I don't, but I don't see the point in getting it. Interesting point of view. Um, when protests ha- so he's so this is the guy uh, criticizing them. When protests happen, they always talk about you can't combat violence with violence, but they never want to talk about the violence that caused this in the first place. That that's just so that's just taking the argument and twisting it. In fact, my argument is, if you disagree with Floyd, your protest should be peaceful. It's that simple. If you disagree with what happened to Floyd. If you want to protest what happened with Floyd, you do not have the right to become violent because you are protesting violence and you may not violently protest violence and maintain any integrity. How do I say that more simply? Feel free to tweet me during the show, by the way. Oh, here. I just got another tweet. Hold on, where is it? I agree, the training is faulty, the video is horrible, but also doesn't show the preceding minutes. It's true. I suspect the officers will be cleared, and then new riots will will ensue. Oh, be quiet. Don't be so pessimistic, although you're probably right. Uh, but, the, okay, so that's my point, is if, if in fact, the, riot, the, the rioters, if, in fact, the police actually weren't doing something wrong... And that looks very wrong to me. Looks wrong. I mean, it totally looks wrong. Let's be frank. <laughs> Let's be frank. Let's be frank in PA. It looks wrong. If it's not wrong according to the police handbook, wow, that's that's an indictment on the entire police station. I don't I don't know and and they've called my understanding is they've called for third degree murder because it does not result in a jury trial. I could be wrong. I'm not an expert on this. I'm just talking out my mouth. Um, but but it's gonna. They're gonna have a hard time finding it. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, you know the problem. The problem with our legal system is it typically comes down to one, or maybe if it's a jury, like a group of people who are all fallible and have their own bring their own sort of biases and everything to the situation. If if they find not guilty, I think 
I think uh, Frank is probably correct. More riots. Why can't we learn? Why, why can we not learn from the past? In fact, I wanted to talk to you about um, reflections on urban unrest. This appears in City Journal. I'm going to try to get Lance Morrow on to talk about this in the future. But um, I just felt it was too timely to, to pass by, to pass up. He wrote, he wrote this piece called Fire Again. Fire, comma, again. Which I, I love the title. I love plays on words. That's my thing. It's not It's not my only thing, but it's one of my things. <laughs> I have a bunch of things. Anyway, people watching these things think of 1968, which is apt enough. And, and I, I alluded to it, right, already. So some venture that this is a, quote, second civil war. I love this. Listen, listen to this. But in 1968, we referred to what was going on at that time, the nightmare procession of assassinations and riots and surprises, as a second civil war. So maybe for clarity, we should refer to the 2020 version as the third one. (laughs) On the other hand, the civil war analogy might be too linear, too coherent, too... it's, It's fairly cliched. Oh, it's another civil war. It's kind of cliched. But it's interesting that they viewed uh, the unrest in Paris and France as a um, a revolution, as a, a social revolution, not a political one. And and I would put to you that there is uh, enough evidence that this is meant to be a political revolution, um, and for that reason that there are agents fomenting much of what we are seeing, certainly agents in the media, certainly. Um, here's the thing. Social media might have taken on the Floyd story, but the media was very eager to amplify it. There are other stories out there. There's the story of the white kid who was knocked down and, and killed and during the protests. And that one's not what where's where's all the outrage about a white kid who was not doing anything, was not doing anything, was not breaking the law, was not doing anything, innocently outed, not outed, sorry, uh, killed by the protesters. Where's the outrage in the media about that? Right. How dare the police? Well, how dare the protesters? Oh, no, no, they're justified because they're angry. Oh, all right. I, 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 I see the new paradigm here. If you're angry, you can break the law and kill people. If you're a police officer arresting somebody, and by the way, yeah, the, the charges were, what? What were the charges? A counterfeit $20 bill or something. Anyway, he continues here. A mob turning abusive will ironically imitate the abuse of power that the demonstration was called to protest in the first place. That is my point. On the other hand, if your intention is to destroy American society, then what's the problem? And again, my point, my point, my point, my point. I really should write a piece because uh, this is all sort of welling up inside me. By the way, did I tell you I moved over the weekend? (laughs) I'm like barely, barely hanging on by my fingernails, which have gone completely to crap because of the stress. 
So I don't have much in the way of fingernails to hang on with, which something. Okay. Of course, these disturbances, Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmoud Arbery. Yeah, it's a cluster of atrocities that, that's, that's magnified. Let's face it. They may even be about the Karen in the Central Park uh, birder. The birder, the bird watcher was black. He asked the white woman to put her dog on a leash, lest the dog disturb the thrushes that he was trying to watch. And she called the police and said, an African-American man, don't come close to me. Could be about that. He writes, they are about Donald Trump, of course, paying him back in his own idiom, as his enemies believe, and about the irreconcilable differences between his America and the one that is so passionate to make him and his deplorable kind go away and leave America to people who think like themselves. And then he wrote this, a sage friend from Minneapolis emailed me over the weekend. There are a lot of smart people out there. I just want to read this to you. Quote, the protesters are idealistic and their commitment to justice admirable, but many of them seem to share a generational sense of entitlement. When it's clear that one is right, immediate compliance must follow. Well, they're right about the raw deal blacks have and the need for that to change. And that the cop barrel has a lot of bad apples, but they have no sense of the fragility of social order. The cautionary cushions of tradition, faith, patience, and the need to persuade others are missing from their consciousness. Something will snap, and the combination of pandemic, disruption by protest, and imminent joblessness for millions of workers will lead to a place hard to see precisely, but probably very bad. End quote. And I agree, but I'm more optimistic than that. But I love this, the cautionary cushions of tradition, faith, patience, and the need to persuade others are missing from their consciousness. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Education. 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 And so... While I don't believe that something will snap, I do think that there are people who are eager to turn this unrest into a vehicle for societal upheaval. But they haven't taken our guns away yet. And so they can't because the bakery owners will defend their bakeries. It's funny that it's a bakery. It's, it's funny that the, the Christian, uh, uh, the Christianity, the Christian thing was challenged at a bakery. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. This is fascinating that it's a bakery. And, and it's not just a bakery owner, but um, that's the story that popped in front of me that I thought, boom, I'll take that one. The bakery owners will defend life-giving bread. This is what we need to pay attention to. Even after Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, they burned neighborhoods 
and those neighborhoods remain boarded up and abandoned for years. We can help get the word out that revival is possible, redemption is available, and renewal is just around the corner should you choose it, especially in the downtrodden communities, because, specifically because, this is the United States of America, this is the land of opportunity, but the opportunity doesn't come and find you. You need to go search for it. And with that, that's the end of my show. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. Hey, go follow me on Twitter today, okay? That's your homework. (laughs) Now go have a great rest of the day.